Robert Prechter, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. The title of your lecture is The Socionomic Theory of Finance. What is that? Well, I have a little bit of a different view of what finance is from most uh, theoretical bases. Most people believe that financial markets are buffeted by news and outside events and economic events and political events. And my view is that uh, the true controlling factor is waves of social mood, that societies naturally move toward a more optimistic and then toward a more pessimistic uh, attitude or mood in a fractal form. That means that the uptrends and downtrends come in all different sizes, and the small ones are building blocks of the larger, and that those in turn impel social action so that the mood comes first, and it it induces people to make certain economic decisions and political decisions and fashion decisions and music choices uh, that show up as the news and events in a lagging way. So the causality is completely the opposite of the way most people view it. So this must be a rewriting of the laws of finance as opposed to finance being lumped in with economics. Precisely correct. I think economic laws are true and correct for the field of economics. In other words, for the, for the area where we're talking about people buying and selling utilitarian goods and services in the economic marketplace. We have the law of supply and demand, and we have the invisible hand and all the things we've learned about. But in finance, things are very, very different because there are no producers and consumers. There are only investors. There's no real supplier who always wants prices one way while the uh, consumer wants them another way. So there's no balance. Everyone in the financial market is a demander. Someone who's buying stocks demand went up a bit, and someone who is selling it just simply means his demand went down a bit. So there's no countervailing force to, to give us equilibrium. Instead, in financial markets, we have dynamism. And, and so if you were to, to apply that to, to the uh, finance market, today to stocks and shares, how would that relate? Just that basically um, it's not about buying and selling supply and demand. It's just about how we're feeling. And if we're feeling confident, we buy. If we're feeling pessimistic, we sell. Yes. And we do a lot of other things. As society gets more uh, optimistic, it also gets friskier. And so people dress with more flair. That's a lovely word, friskier. Yeah. Yeah. And more joyful. So they listen to different types of music, you know, the more more happier, upbeat pop. And at a a major top in mood, you find bubblegum music is, is everywhere. Uh, you find the fashions are more colorful, skirts are, uh, hemlines are higher. But you also see that people are in a, in a manic frenzy to own stocks and, and the amount of debt and credit expand, is expanded because everyone believes they'll be paid back or that they can pay back their debts. And all of this is a result of extreme optimism. When the trend changes in the other direction, all of these social uh, results uh, go in the opposite way. So people listen to more depressed music, they get more conservative in their dress, they get more conservative in their lending. And so you find a, a contraction, for example, in the credit supply as debtors start to pay off and borrow less and creditors want to be paid. And stock prices go down because people are more conservative and they sell and they're more defensive. And it also uh, eventually, a few months later, shows up in the economy, which is why the stock market leads the economy, because when someone makes a decision, say, to contract business, it takes a while to actually let people go uh, or, or, or you know, uh, pay off the loan and things like that. And that's why the economic trends come after the stock trends. And, and so 
In, in looking at these theories, and indeed, and, and you, you, you're author of the Elliott Wave Principle, this podcast wouldn't be complete without you know, explaining some of those diagrams because they look horribly complex, that Elliott Wave Principle. Well, the underlying theme is very simple. Uh, what Elliott said was in the financial markets, the herding process actually has a form that you can recognize. And then essentially, markets move in five waves when moving in the one larger degree, same direction as the one larger degree trend. And this makes sense to me because it's an easier trend to go with the flow. When it's correcting or moving against the one larger trend, it's more difficult, and the market only develops three waves. And if you can envision five waves in one direction, three waves against, you can see why that not only has fluctuation, but inherently also a trending situation. And the smaller uh, pieces of that uh, wave structure form the larger uh, building blocks of the larger ones. So it's a fractal model. It was developed way back in 1938 before the word fractal was even invented. And uh, I think most of the statistical studies today and the advanced mathematics and fractal geometry of nature, for example, are pointing out some of the statistical artifacts that go along with this model and with reality. So I think Elliott's model is being increasingly shown to have been a very insightful uh, empirical observation uh, 70 years ago. And, and so, you know, th- th- those observations 70 years ago, why do you think people have stuck so rigidly to that normal economic demand-supply model? Uh, why haven't they innovated in, in the financial markets? Why haven't they taken this mood theory on board? Well, two reasons. One is that the normal human default, uh, our mental, mental default, is to physics because it kept uh, the species alive so often. When a rock was rolling down a hill, you knew to jump aside because the conservation of momentum would make it continue in the same path and it may save your life. And if somebody's going to try to hit you, you might duck, you know, because physics works. And it's kept the species alive. But in, in, uh, we've gotten to a modern uh, time when, when the, uh, these kinds of, of innate ideas or uh, reactions to the way the universe is are uh, inapplicable, for example, to financial markets. But people still apply the same idea. So they think the billiard ball comes in. In other words, something like the economy makes a change or a political uh, change comes along and that changes people's attitudes. But uh, we, actually, society is completely the other way around. Human beings are very special in that way. They share a mood, and those trends are what motivate those actions that people are looking at. But could you build a computer model that is as reliable based on socionomic theory as based on this traditional economic theory based on, as you say, physics? Because people want certainties, and the problem with the social sciences is they think that they're not certain. Well, they're correct. Because we're dealing with human beings, and human beings are are wildly interesting, but one thing, they're not as machines. And when people try to reduce the economy to to mechanics, which is what things like efficient market hypothesis and pulling the economic theory over into finance do, uh, they find that they're not very successful. So even the economics profession will uh, quite candidly state that in the aggregate, uh, economists have missed every recession that's ever occurred because their tools aren't applicable. When you're using a social mood model, you, you are attuned to extremes in social mood. For example, extreme uh, optimism. And you say, when we reach that point, you've got to be on the alert because you're near a turning point toward the other direction. You're probably going to have a recession develop. Economists don't see it that way. It doesn't mean that someone using socionomic uh, thought will be right all the time. 
But he's right way more often than economists are because he's got a tool that's actually operating and working that way. Well, let's put you on the spot. Could we then have applied the, the Elliott Way principle? Could we apply it? Could we have done something differently in the recession, for instance, or, or in terms of, of these changes over the past, say, 40 years in economic cycles? Well, there's nothing that, say, some aggregation or authority can do to change the waves of social mood. Uh, whenever the trend is up, they feel very confident that they're in complete control. And when the trend is down, they start to say, oh, well, it's not our fault. You know, this is just uh, animal spirits and there's nothing we can control. So they change their mind depending on the direction. But the WAVE principle, this model, has a 70-year history of application. It's on the published record. Everyone who's been the leading practitioner uh, published their ideas from 1938 forward. So we have a terrific uh, track record actually to study, and I've done, uh, I've posted something which I mentioned in the speech. It's about a 20 page review of commentary from people applying this wave principle model at every major and intermediate turn in the stock market going back 70 years. And it's quite an impressive uh, result, and certainly better than anything that the economics profession or fundamental analysis can give you. No, no. If we go into the detail of, of these theories, a word you kept mentioning was herding. Can you just elaborate on why? Yeah, I think what's really going on is that there's an unconscious herding impulse that people have. And when they're in a crowd or a group, they're getting cues from each other. I'm not quite sure how that works, uh, but it's some sort of unconscious cues. It could be expressions. It could be uh, scents. It could be all sorts of things. The way the tone of people's voices, for example, is communicating mood to each other. It arises from these social aggregations. And herding is a very powerful thing. It comes into play when people are uncertain in a particular environment. So they're looking around for some sort of confirmation or some sort of guide. Unfortunately, in the financial markets, there is no brilliant person who knows anything. So people are looking at each other even though the other people are just as ignorant as they are. So you end up with a, a herd that has only one thing to fall back on as a guide, and that's how they feel. So what they're really doing when they're herding is they're sharing a social mood, and that's where it comes from. And just finally, do, do you hope, or, or in terms of the aspirations for socioeconomic theory of finance, is it to change that economic modelling structure? Is it to get it down to a more pragmatic, more realistic, more mood-based level? Definitely, I would like to have it make a difference in the way people approach macroeconomics, political forecasting, uh, uh, social forecasting, and all of those uh, disciplines uh, and areas, for example, is understanding history. Where does history come from? I think these ways of social mood describe history very, very well and give you a reason of why history occurs the way it does. It's not a chaotic system. It's a directly causal system from mood to action. It's very easy to understand in one sense, but it's counterintuitive, so it's very difficult to accept. But once people do that, they start reading a newspaper in a whole different way, and it changes the way you look at everything that happens, and I think gives you an insight as to why uh, things happen as they do. You know, so many people are caught off guard, and, and people say, you know, nobody could have seen this coming. It came out of the blue. But if you realize that in 1999 and in 2005, 2007, we are at one of the most extreme periods of social optimism ever recorded by many, many measures, you knew that the only direction it could go eventually was in the other direction to correct that. And soon we will be at a pessimistic state where someone like myself or a socionomist can say, don't despair. Just like 1932 or 1974, when everyone was worried, it's a bottom. So get ready for better times. So it, it, it's like the king, uh, king's advisor said, this too shall pass. Hang in there.
<laughs> exactly, in both directions. Robert Pretchler, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today on the socioeconomic theory of finance. I've enjoyed it very much. Entirely my pleasure.